Colonel Douglas McGregor is a retired army colonel, of course, but he's also a combat veteran. He's an author. He's a foreign policy and defense consultant. He's a man who has forgotten more about war than most of the toy soldiers in uh, the Pentagon and in the Whitehall uh, Ministry of Defense have ever or ever will know. And it's a real privilege that he's with us tonight on the Mother of All talk shows. Uh, Colonel, thank you for joining us. If you wouldn't mind uh, summarizing uh, the current state at the front in the war with Ukraine before we turn to the state of the war uh, at the front in Europe and in the United States. But uh, as a survey of the battlefield, how would you describe it? Many thought that there would be a massive Russian offensive to coincide with the 12-month anniversary. That does not, on the face of it, seem to have yet occurred. No, it hasn't. It doesn't mean that it won't. But I'm not sure that anniversary was ever as meaningful to the Russians as it turned out to be here in the West. I think that uh, the situation is as follows, that you have southern Ukraine, which is largely under the control of the Russians. When I say largely, I think they now control the Donbass. They have annihilated most of Ukrainian forces that uh, were challenging their control of the Donbass. So this long-term economy of force defense is gradually coming to an end. They have marshaled enormous forces in Belarusia, in western Russia, and in southern Ukraine. When I say enormous, you're talking about 550,000 to 600,000, with another 100,000 behind that inside Russia itself. Uh, they have stockpiled enormous quantities of artillery ammunition because 75% of the casualties inflicted on the Ukrainians have been inflicted by artillery, missiles, rockets. The Ukrainians are now coming close to 200,000 dead and well over 300,000 wounded. The situation for the Ukrainians is dismal, to say the least. It's really very bad, which is one of the reasons that Mr. Zelensky very recently, in fact, within the last 24 hours, talked about American soldiers and British soldiers and others from Western Europe coming to fight in Ukraine because he has no chance whatsoever of winning. And the only way he could win would be to draw us in. Fortunately, I don't see any evidence that that will happen to us in the United States. It looks that way also to me, but it begs a question I'd like to put to you. Uh, a caller just uh, raised uh, the question, Joe, Joe from New Jersey, in fact, made the point that we have been uh, stumping up for NATO uh, billions of dollars and pounds uh, mainly you, of course, in the United States, but we've all been stumping up an ever-increasing amount of money. Donald Trump, I remember, toured Europe and demanded that we pony up some extra for uh, our own defense, and we did. Uh, where did all that money go? How come NATO doesn't have any tanks, have any ammunition? They're all saying they, they can't give Ukraine any more. The German defense minister Pistorius just said that the German armed forces can no longer defend Germany. They better hope no one attacks them. Uh, Where did all the NATO money go if it did not go on military hardware? 
Well, that's a that's an important question. It deserves a good answer. First of all, the European states, including yours, Great Britain, have dramatically scaled back the size of their forces. So that you have relatively few soldiers, sailors, airmen who are ready to fight. That's the first point in any of the European countries. By the way, we've done something very similar. Today, the United States Army has dropped down to about 450, 460,000. They're supposed to be at 485. And we don't think we could get more than 50,000 ready combat troops into the field at this point, which tells you something about the structure and organization of the force. It's not very good. We have all sorts of problems with our Navy, uh, not just in shipbuilding, but also in ship maintenance. People are leaving the armed forces in droves because they're sick to death of the leftist woke agenda and what it means for them. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it's surprising that the forces aren't ready. The other point is that we've been pouring an enormous amount of money and hardware into Ukraine. Ukraine is the original black hole of corruption and deceit. It was billed as the most corrupt country in the world when we entered it. Now it is being transformed into this brilliant investment. Uh, it was always supposed to be a, a very corrupt place where people paid no attention to the rule of law. And overnight, it's become the pristine liberal democracy that everyone should run out and defend. The truth is obviously very different. In fact, I would argue that Ukraine is infinitely more authoritarian than Russia. And it's treating its own population with almost complete contempt, forcing women, boys, old men into uniform to try and make up for the tremendous losses they've sustained over the last several months. So to answer your question, none of this should surprise anybody. We've got lots of generals, lots of bands, lots of admirals, not many ships, and uh, the money doesn't produce combat power, but it certainly maintains large numbers of comfortable headquarters in NATO. How brilliantly summarized. I'm almost speechless, uh, but luckily not entirely speechless. What does it tell us, though, also? <laughs> I don't remember you ever being the... speechless. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what does it tell us about the military-industrial complex on uh, each side? Russia seems to be able to produce um, unending, bo a bottomless uh, supply uh, of military hardware and ammunition, and the West cannot. Uh, what what does that say about the Western capitalist economy compared to the capitalist economy in Russia? But with still quite a centralized command pool uh, in their uh, economic affairs. And, of course, if we turn to China, uh, we have uh, an entirely uh, state-directed uh, economy, albeit with huge levels of private enterprise within them. Do you see any lessons on the superiority, at least on the military field, of uh, these respective and competing sides? Well, it's important to keep in mind that uh, going back to 1990-91, we in the United States, and I would argue you as well, uh, concluded that we were the lone ranger on the block. In other words, we were the invincible and vulnerable force. Uh, we annihilated this weak Arab army almost overnight with very little difficulty and decided there was no one else that could challenge us. Then uh, the globalists, this class of ruling elites that we have in Western Europe and the United States, decided to use the American military as well as allied militaries to leverage them for interventions around the world to promote themselves, to promote uh, their notions of liberal democratic change, but ultimately to simply secure military hegemony across the world. 
At the same time, we began investing in very expensive but limited sets of equipment and technologies, technologies that are very good but also fragile. Meanwhile, in Russia, which was recovering from near-total economic collapse, began rebuilding itself. And its army was not that large when it first intervened in February of last year. It actually was quite small, maybe 150,000, 180,000 professional soldiers with about 130,000 draftees, but really a, a limited force designed for territorial defense. However, they did maintain the industrial base, and they readied it for use, which meant that they could ramp up very quickly. And their weapons, in some cases, are very complex, no, no uh, sort of uh, in, by no means inferior to our own. They have all the microcircuitry, the precision guidance. They have the satellite arrays and the global positioning systems. But most of their weapons are more rudimentary and, I would argue, rugged, easier, easier to rapidly produce. And uh, you have Mr. Putin at the top, who has enormous support from the Russian population, the Russian people are enraged at what has happened. They realize that their country is really at risk because the United States and its friends uh, in Europe have declared Russia a place that has to be destroyed, whose leadership has to be removed, and whose country should be dismembered. Under those circumstances, you're not going to find very many Russians that don't support the war that Mr. Putin has ramped up to fight. But we don't have those surge capacities, so that once we ran through relatively limited sets of equipment, we were in no position to stop, ramp up an industry that is so small that it would take years to expand. So right now we're spending a lot of money, but we're not getting nearly as much for our buck as uh, President Putin is. When you go to China, I would argue it's even more acute there. In China, their current military industrial production capability is twice what ours was during World War II. So for the Chinese to ramp up quickly and provide equipment, ammunition, technology, whatever, to Russia is a very straightforward and easy achievement. But for us, it's it's a nightmare. And it's even more of a nightmare in Europe, where the Europeans, particularly the Germans, literally disarmed themselves. And yet, these pipsqueaks on the western side, or, or, or semi-imbeciles in the case of Biden, uh, in, in ob- almost certainly demented. They're never done talking about war. They're never done threatening people. Uh, and they're well, even, they haven't, they uh, haven't figured out, they appear- they, they have, George, they, George, they haven't figured out that Russia is not Serbia. Russia is not Iraq. You know, these people are drunk on 30 years of easy victories over relatively small countries that could not effectively defend themselves. That's not Russia. Their resources are in abundance. You can't isolate Russia. Russia's economy is large enough and, and important enough for China, for India, for the rest of the world that we can't possibly isolate it and stop them from, from trading and expanding. Their economy, as you know, is doing much better than anybody in Europe. And I would argue if you look at their sovereign debt, it's almost minuscule compared to ours, which is crushing. So, you know, there was no serious thinking invested in this proposition. People wanted to bully Russia. They've been trying to bully Russia for 20, 30 years. Uh, The 2014 coup that installed this illicit regime in power that's full of hatred for Russia was mana from heaven for Washington. It thought it could build up uh, an attack force in Ukraine that could destroy Russia. And they poured lots of money and training and equipment into it. 
but they always underestimated Russia. They behaved as though this was just another developing country that could be crushed underfoot. Didn't work. It's not going to work. Yeah, uh, that begs a question then. Uh, Are we ruled by fools or knaves? I'm not sure which would be worse, but are they so stupid they imagined that Russia would be so isolated, would be uh, rolled over, uh, that uh, that they can defeat Russia and China? Is this because they're fools or do they know the truth and are merely extorting the rest of us, playing some kind of uh, fatal poker game? Well, I think you've described all of it. Certainly we have our share of fools. There's no question about that. People that don't understand what the name word war actually means. I mean, we haven't seen a real war, knock down, drag out wars for what, 80 years. And so people have lost their fear of it. Uh, Americans don't understand. The war can come here. Russia can escalate horizontally. We are not sitting in splendid isolation, immune to attacks from Russia. And I'm not talking about nuclear weapons. I'm talking about a whole range of capabilities. Americans have no idea. The people in Washington are out of touch with reality. They have been sitting on top of the mountain for so long, they've lost sight of the people struggling to climb the mountain below them. So I think uh, I think it's a combination of everything you said. The, along with the death of integrity in terms of reporting and news, we've had the death of strategy. No one, no one establishes attainable objectives. No one balances ends against means. We'd launch impulsively in a direction and expect the whole world to follow. I think we're marching ourselves into oblivion, frankly. Many people watching this will be uh, actually gasping and wishing that you uh, yourself were in the White House. I do hope you'll consider that, uh, Colonel. But lastly, (laughs) uh, you mentioned Putin. uh, Well, I, I, I hope you think about that again. But the uh, the speech, two speeches that Putin gave last week uh, began, I think, for the first time to cut through uh, across the censorship, across the Iron Curtain, ironically, uh, of, uh, of censorship which Western companies, media houses, big tech and so on have placed around the Russian side of the story in all of this. Uh, in those speeches, he posited what I'll call the civilizational issues involved here. And I thought that his arguments were extremely powerful. It is the case that uh, in Russia, uh, cultural values, social values are conservative with a small c, uh, that religion is uh, still a thing. Uh, that uh, a decent, honest patriotism and respect for history is still a thing. And he posed against that what he called the degeneracy and the the depravity even uh, that uh, seems to prevail in your society and in mine. You know, the 97 genders, the children being exposed to all kinds of horrific uh, sexualization, the pressure on on the age of consent with children, the trans issues and all the rest. He posited his, he argued, clean, conservative, 
normality of uh, Russian society against the abnormality uh, that seems to dominate in the West. Now, insofar as people have those arguments, I think many people in your country and mine would be with Putin in those uh, in that dichotomy. What say you? No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's why we have to understand that this war was conceived, uh, launched, and is being conducted by a relatively small number of so-called globalist ruling elites in London, Washington, New York City, to a lesser extent in Paris and Berlin. And uh, they are inspired by Soros, not by Christianity. They are inspired by Marx, uh, obviously much more than they are by uh, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Thomas Hobbes, uh, and so forth. This is what we're up against. The gap between the ruled and the ruling elite has never been greater than it is today in the United States. And it's a very dangerous thing because we know when that occurs, the potential for tremendous upheaval in the event of a dramatic downturn in the economy is huge. You know, there's another point here that, that I think your viewers need to understand. The UN indicates that somewhere between 50 and 60,000 Ukrainian children have gone missing. Now we know what, what that means. We know the, the sick disease of pedophilia that is widespread in the West and the United States. Uh, we have open borders and 2.5 million people have invaded this country. Some of them have come in with criminal intentions. We, we also know large numbers of women and children have disappeared in this process. No one in Washington and I can't find anybody in London or New York City seems remotely concerned about it. But it's a great concern for the American people. We want to reestablish the rule of law. We want to defend our borders. We want to see an end to the fighting. We would like to see peace talks take place. But as you heard yesterday, Jens Stoltenberg announced, no doubt at the behest of his masters in Washington and London, that uh, Russia will have no peace until effectively, you know, they withdraw entirely from Ukraine. This is absurd and nonsensical. It has no chance of happening, but it's a signal to Mr. Putin and to the Russians. They have no negotiating partner. What this means is that Ukraine has to be crushed. And that's a tragedy because it's not something we want. I don't think it's something the Russians want, but they have no choice. We've left them no off-ramp. Does this poll surprise you, Colonel, finally? Uh, I asked, if you had to vote for one of them, who would you vote for? A, Putin, B, Biden. And I can tell you that more than 20,000 people have voted by 90% to 10% for Putin. Does that surprise you, that poll? It does a little bit because of the enormous effort that's been invested in demonizing Mr. Putin. I mean, Mr. Putin is now in the same category with Stalin and Hitler and uh, Saddam Hussein and so forth. So it's hard for me to imagine that people are that alert that they know that's not true. 